Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Dr. Randy Bach. I am uh, honored today um, and tonight to have a guest, uh, Jean, Jean Baudouin, and we'll work on his pronunciation, see how I did. Um, uh, today is March 30, 2022, and we are um, together uh, for a coronavirus conversation, but it can go anywhere we like. Um, because so far we uh, still retain some uh, rights of uh, free speech and so forth. Um, John is a, a um, I, I mean, I don't want to misapply the term, but I think he's a bit of a polymath, um, including math. And I'm going to let him uh, mention some of his uh, credentials and why, well, why I'm having him on the show is, is uh, uh, we met very recently on um, Panda, uh, pandata.org um, call which is a worldwide uh, organization uh, dealing with uh, certain aspects of the pandemic and, and applying data analysis to the pandemic. Um, and I'll leave it there because John's done some very interesting things. We are uh, both residents of Massachusetts, uh, neither one native per se, uh, but from the Northeast in general. And, and, and I, I, I kind of um, glommed on to John and invited him uh, abruptly uh, tonight. Um, and he was gracious enough to agree or crazy enough, either one. Um, and I'll leave it there. So, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, and um, um, then we'll, you know, head into some back and forth. Sure, sure. And thank you for the introduction. I um, I grew up in Connecticut, which is only two hours from Massachusetts, but you know, this fairly different uh, culture uh, between Eastern Mass and Connecticut. Although I understand Mass because I have about 500 cousins in in one town in Massachusetts, so. I, I understand the culture up here as well. Um, I went to uh, went to engineering school out of high school and got a degree in electrical engineering. Didn't really use it for design. I kind of got into sales and marketing where you're an applications engineer and you, you go and you talk to um, engineers about their design work. And after 30 years or so, I've seen, I don't know, thousands of designs, everything from nuclear missile guidance control systems to uh, implantable drug delivery systems, collision avoidance systems, every electronic you have around your house. I have sold into um, into design environments where they're putting together the architecture and then buying the chips. I sold chips. I sold the software to design it, and I sold intellectual property, um, and then large uh, large contracts for for design. Um, so seven figure software contracts, which if you were to compare it to <clears throat> a company that sells uh, actual things, you know, cost that has cost of goods sold, it would be equivalent to like $100, $200 million deals. Nothing mm -hmm. big, just it sounds big to some people, but there are multi billion dollar deals out there. So it's relatively moderate contract sizes, but very complex terms. So I did that for 30 years, uh, raised three boys, um, and um, got an MBA. And kind of, I push the envelope when it comes to academia. I, I don't mesh with them, so to speak. Um, I, I appreciate a lot of, a lot of times, uh, you know, maverick thinkers don't play well with others. Yeah. So, you know, I'll just use an example. For an advanced economics course, they had to read uh, Ronald Coase. Um, uh, I forget the title. Something to do with the theory of the firm. Something to do with the firm. There's a early early 1900s or mid mid to early 1900s <clears throat> and um i thought it was horrendous i thought he didn't understand people he didn't understand uh psychology which plays into economics and that's why a lot of the economic models are broken well, i'm doing my introduction now so i should stick to that 
But but what I found though was um, we had to read something else from Ronald Coase. And when I read it, I was like, aha, this guy is brilliant. It's like, what? And of course, what do I do? I look people up. I looked up his history. I, I went through his, his life and his writings. And I found that when he wrote the early one was in his late 20s or early 30s. And he was considered brilliant and a genius. And I thought it was foolish because when I read him, I was in my 50s, early 50s. When I read the second one, he was in his 50s. And he had even written that through the experience of life, he understands that his prior theories in economics, and, and, and he's a world-renowned guy. If you look up Ronald Coase, C-O-A-S-E, you'll find that he is very world-renowned, died at 103 a few years ago. Um, so he recognized that his earlier works were not good because he lacked the experience of life and an understanding of people from a psychological perspective. And therefore, the, a lot of the economic models were broken. And those are the economic models that are, many of the theories of economics are based upon. Like the rationality assumption in economics is where everybody acts in their own self-interest. Sounds good, but it's extremely cynical. It's extremely cynical to think that everybody only acts in their own self-interest and they do nothing for others. Mm -hmm. That might work for some economic models, but you go into some cultures where it's, it's actually through religion or whatever cultural values they have. It's, it's better to, to do things for others, right? The economic models then break because you have the rationality assumption, which is the basis of all standard economic theory. And that's so, why I gravitate toward behavioral economics. Sorry. So that, that's your gravitation. I mean, I, I was uh, talking with a younger person recently and you know, we've all heard the expression that youth is uh, wasted on the young. Uh, they have a lot of exuberance and, and uh, a fair amount of intelligence, but a lot of the intelligence hasn't necessarily uh, crystallized around uh, enough experience, enough data points. Um, so, you know, let, let's kind of um, set you on the track of, of how your um, experiences and point of view um, set you up with or against some of the actions and reactions of, of the uh, COVID-19 era. Okay. So now the, the audience knows a little bit about my personality and that I kind of push against whatever I'm, I'm being told, a little bit of a contrarian <clears throat> where I feel is necessary. So here comes COVID, um, March of 2020. My middle son um, was saying, this is stupid, we can't, sorry. That's right. Everyone's a critic. Everyone's a critic. I have my own dog to do some of those things. So we, um, he, he, he didn't believe it. He said, it's a hoax. It's all stupid. And I said, Hey, Charlie, you got to take this seriously. You know, there's people, people are dying. They could die. You know, you, you got to watch out. You got to be careful. Um, so I thought to myself, what can I do to convince a then these 21, then 19 year old, uh, male, which, you know, they know everything. So what can I do to convince him that it's real? So I got into the New York City Department of Public Health uh, data online, um, loaded it and did some analysis uh, and the press were saying things and it didn't kind of, I can't tell you exactly what it was because it's been two years, but it, it didn't jive with what the press was saying, especially with regard to race. So I did a, an analysis of race across the five boroughs of New York. Um, and then I subsequently did uh, Cook County in Illinois, which includes Chicago, looked at the northern counties of New Jersey, and I and I threw Massachusetts in, and um, I was right. You know, the, the the percentages of race and the percentages of deaths 
were almost almost matched, and I wrote a paper on it. Uh, but in doing so, I looked at the CDC data, and I loaded the 2014 through 2018 data as historical data to look at to do to do a trend analysis to find out what's happening in 2020. <clears throat> so here's what happened. I load the data, I do my analysis, and I realize it, it doesn't match at all. What is going on here? So it wasn't that it didn't match. It's that there was an anomaly in the data such that it, it couldn't possibly be mathematically, the, the answer that I had found. I emailed the, the CDC data has a keeper of records email with, with each data file that they have available to the public. And it's and it's put the public data file is there and the email person, specific person who keeps that record. So I, I emailed him and I said, hey, something's wrong with your 2014 through 2018 data. It doesn't jive. This can't possibly be. He did not respond. But what happened was the data was taken down. All the other files were there. That specific file was gone for 36 hours. Hmm. I kept checking. And when it came back up, the data had changed. I'm like, they can't do that. That's historical data. You can't go back and change the data of the past so you can make something look good in the future. I know the worst, the worst crime, I'm a physician and, and we were taught early on in medical school, uh, write down everything you see at the time on the chart and never alter it. If you are, you know, God forbid, brought up on a malpractice charge, you know, the easy thing is to go back and look at that chart and say, oh my God, I forgot to write down his height or what, I forgot to do this. And you go try to fix the chart. That That is the most damning thing um, to, to try to change the past because the past is the past. And there's no point in having a record if the record is mutable. So, so you're seeing this uh, kind of, uh, you know, coming up uh, against the 1984 syndrome or Wellian, um, you know, changes down the memory hole. Uh, so let, let's uh, kind of cut to the chase. I mean, not to the chase. Let's find the chase. What, what exactly? First of all, what, what was, what were the the anomalies? Uh, how did they set you off? And then what did you do? So, if people ask me that, and it's been two years, but I know in my head what I found. I, I know that I emailed them. I know they didn't email back. I know they took the record down, but I, I can't remember what it was. It was, it was a simple checksum. Uh, do you know what a check? Um, yes. <clears throat> okay. So it it was a simple um, the the sums don't match up. If you take the, a bunch from one category and a bunch from another category and you add them, you should get a total population. They they, they didn't add up. So they were trying to say they they all died from this and they all died from this, and they weren't. Had, you know, had had you saved the original data? I mean, do you have the original no? Emails? Because I was, I was naive. I was naive, and I thought they oh, they they won't do that. You know? <laughs> and now, so after that, I thought. My son is right. There's some bad stuff going on. So I started looking at more CDC data. <clears throat> I saved everything I did, excuse me. <clears throat> and um, I wrote about 11 papers and I didn't have anywhere to publish them. I'm not I'm not a scientist. Uh, all the references are in there. Every, every single bit of information that I got, I, I put an APA style reference in. Um, I showed that uh, like uh, when California decided to shut down their their state university program they decided in like i was say april or may that they were going to close school for september and i thought that was insane you, you don't know what's going to happen so i did an analysis of all the, the the age groups that had covid and died of covid and nobody was that nobody that age was dying of covid and it was 
the best thing for kids to do was to stay in college and not go home and bring it to their families that are older, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wrote a paper on that. And, and um, then um, the mask suit came out and that really. So what is, what is the mask suit? For so the, the, in Massachusetts, 